The 2022 growing season has been a roller coaster to say the least, but what if I told you that you could add another revenue stream for your farm? Harvest Hosts connects over 200,000 RVers to a network of thousands of farms, wineries, breweries, and small businesses. Hosts simply offer RVers a one-night stay on their farm, and in return, RVers patronize the host business. The program is a cost-free opportunity, and 100% of the money spent on-site goes straight to the host. In 2021, members spent more than $40 million across host locations. If you don't sell produce or products on your farm, no problem. You can get creative with what you can offer travelers, create farm experiences, sell farm-branded swag, and even receive tips. Hosts can accept or deny stay requests, manage the number of RVs, and set blackout dates. No hookups or services are required to host. Visit harvesthosts.com hosts. That's harvesthosts.com hosts for more information and to apply to become a host today. Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. Today, we're talking to an ag economist from north of the border, looking for his insight on what the economic outlook is for 2022. He's vice president and chief economist at FCC Farm Credit Canada. From Quebec City, Canada, I'd like to welcome JP Gervais. Welcome, JP, and thank you so much for being here. Well, uh, it's a, my pleasure really to be a part of the podcast. Thanks. And uh, so can we start off by um, just telling me a little bit about your background and how you ended up in a career in agriculture? Yeah, I think my my passion for ag and food comes on my, my father's side. Uh, he was one of many siblings uh, that, and the only one, I believe, to not directly involved in agriculture. So I have tons of uncles, aunts and um, cousins that are, are either farming, involved uh, on the input supplying side of the business, input manufacturing in the farm sector, and so forth. So I think if I trace that the, back to to, to this, um, it explains a lot of why. You know, as I was going through my degrees in economics, I was you know anytime I had to pick a topic for a term paper, or research, or whatnot, I, I would just lean on on my knowledge of the ag and farm sector and, and passion for food. So I think, uh, and now here I am working for the largest lender entirely dedicated to, to ag and food. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a really like the journey so far. Yeah, that's great and, and really important. And and the industry is very lucky to have you. Well, I, I, I think, you know, like I said, I working for FCC and the fact that we're entirely dedicated to ag and food I think it makes a ton of difference in the sense that um, we have tons of passionate people at FCC that are entirely dedicated to help in advancing the business of ag. And so um, it's when you put together a, a, a great cast of like-minded people with the same passion, I think it makes, uh, it makes it's a little bit easier to make the dream come true for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And the role of FCC is a really important one to Canadian farmers. Can you tell me a little bit about the ways that you do help them succeed? Well, first and foremost, I mean, we are providing financial services to uh, the farm sector, uh, but not only the far- at the farm level as well. We are focusing on um, those that are supporting farm operations by supplying inputs, manufacturing inputs. So if you think of fertilizer, equipment and so forth, and as well as supporting the ones, uh, the businesses that are buying farm output so if you think if you're processing it or um, shipping it distributing it and so forth i think those are the the sort of the businesses that we help 
and and support by provide, providing some lending, obviously, just to make sure that businesses that have a desire to grow are able to do it financially. Uh, but we also have tons of other services that are dedicated to advancing the business of ag. So, for example, we have a farm management software that uh, is is gaining a lot more traction. We got a lot more farmers in Canada that are using our, our software with the, the thought there being that, you know, making sure that if we um, advance the skills when it comes to farm management, then we'll be able to advance the business of ag and make the farmers more successful in their business. And so um, it's just an entirely broad suite of, of, of tools that we have to, to support farmers, not only in terms of financial needs, but as well as in terms of knowledge and help them out in terms of farm management as well. Well, that's great. And um, we'll shift a little bit to to the farmer now. Producers don't have any control over the price they set for their products. Um, Of course, they have no no control over the price of their inputs. So what are you seeing in 2022 in terms of how producers are managing these high inputs, high fuel costs, but also high commodity prices? Yeah, no, this is a really great question because that's a question I've been asked a lot lately, obviously, with all the different pressures. In my 25 years doing this, I've been with FCC 12 years, but prior to this, I was also doing research in economics or ag economics. And I don't think I've, I've worked in a, an environment where so many different influences are, are all happening at the same time, right? So that makes the environment really complex for farming operations. And we've said as I've said this many times. I mean, farming is a sophisticated um, sector of the economy, very complex. But I think now, I think the stakes are really high when it comes to sophistication and, and, and complexity. So, um, and, and the reality is short term, farming operations are don't have a whole lot of, of ability to adjust and, and do different things, right? So I think the one thing at the farming level that is unique, if you compare farming to other sectors of the economy, is the long lags that exist between production decisions and marketing decisions, right? So if you think of crops, you know, seeding and harvesting and marketing, if you think of livestock production as well, there are long lags. And those lags sometimes prevent businesses to adjust in the short term, right? So in the short term, I say more so than, than ever before, I do think with the high price of inputs, I think it's not just about looking at the production side of the business, but also the economic side of the business. So not only, for example, trying to maximize yields, but also making sure that if I apply more fertilizer, that there's economic value behind a decision. So I think in the short term, I think that's pretty much all that you can do as a farming operation in the current context. And it's a bit, um, I was going to say sad, not necessarily sad, but certainly uh, daunting to think that, hey, now is not too early to think about next year. And that's really, I think, the uniqueness in terms of, of farming versus other sectors of the economy is you have to have this long-term planning ability here to make sure that now is the time to think about future decisions that I'll need to make on my farm, given that the really high inflationary uh, environment that we have right now could actually last well into the next marketing year, not even this current marketing year that um, is just about to end, but really well into the next one and the one after that. So this is really about you know making clear about your strategic plan and making sure that we're on the medium term and long term where you have options to adjust your production plans that that you do think about this as well and, and make sure that you have strong risk management, both financially and from a marketing standpoint. 
Uh, I think this is really on, on the medium term to long term that I, I think there's ability for farm operations to do adjust a little bit of their business plan and react to the current environment that we're in. Yeah, those are some really great points. And how is the Ukraine situation affecting food security, not just here in North America, but across the globe? Yeah, well, first, I mean, you do mention North America, and I think it is important to emphasize, right, in the United States and Canada, we are fortunate to be um, able to access and source secure food. Uh, but we do have segments of the population that are still food insecure at both sides of the border in Canada and the U.S. If I, if, if I look at Canada, there are segments of the population that will be struggling even more so now, given the high food prices that we have. But from a, a global perspective, absolutely. I do think that, you know, it, it's pretty obvious now that with Ukraine and Russia being very, very large producing countries when it comes to ag commodities, uh, we've seen food prices rise and, and we've seen as well other exporters that are not necessarily um, directly involved in the current war, but nonetheless taken actions to restrict their exports. Indonesia, for example, took some steps to limit the export to palm oil. Now, I think they walked that back and faced with a little bit of pressure from, from at the global level as well. But we've seen other suppliers making sure that India is another example, right? So we've seen other suppliers taking action to make sure that they secure their domestic supply before sort of going, encouraging their businesses to go in the world markets. And I think that's sort of creates an escalation when it comes to food security concerns. It's not just about the production that is not going to be there in Ukraine this marketing year, this next marketing year, and some of the trade flows that will be disrupted coming out of Russia because of the sanctions. But it's also about, you know, all the other exporters. And, and I think, you know, if you look at the U.S. and Canada, I think we have a major role to play when it comes to food security. And hopefully, you know, this year and the next and so forth, we'll be able to supply some of or make up some of the gap in between supply and demand that exists at the global level. Yeah, that's right. And one of the big, big problems this year has been feed prices. So do you think they've peaked now or is there more to come? Well, and this is a really interesting question. I wish, you know, I could answer this, you know, a couple of months from now, right? So after this, this, this marketing uh, or after this uh, production season, because in a couple of months, we're going to have a much better idea. Um, I am afraid to say that I don't think they're peaked. I think I can certainly see some situations going into this summer that will likely drive prices a little bit higher. I truly hope that we're going to get, you know, fingers crossed, a great production season. If you look at Canada last year, it was terrible. We, out of the Canadian prairies, we have production down about, you know, on average 40%. Um, and so we need it for many different reasons. You touched on food security. That would help a whole lot if we had a good crop, you know, on both sides of the border, alleviate some of the food security concerns at the world level. And, and not only that, we, we even prior to Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, we needed a good, good production. So because of all the uncertainty and the one thing we can be sure of, and that's the one thing that I always like to point out, the one thing that we can be sure of, there's just no way to be sure of, of direction the prices in the next couple of months. But the one thing that we can be sure of is the added volatility that we normally observe when we have stocks this low. And so I would expect that prices at some point in time, based on the news related to either the war, either the uh, weather patterns or whatnot, that to see feed prices go up slightly. And I do think that uh, farm operations, especially livestock operations, need to be thinking about the that possibility uh, throughout the summer and early in the next marketing year. 
Right. And then uh, hay acres have been trending downward over the last two decades. Weather, obviously, like as you said, has been a, a negative factor in the supply in the last year as well. But what's the outlook for hay as we're approaching first cut? Well, it's the outlook's not too bad. If you look at, I think in the prairies, in the Canadian prairies, it's a tale of, you know, starting from central Saskatchewan and east. I think the outlook's pretty good. You got some moisture, and I do think that we're going to have decent production. Uh, but west of central Saskatchewan, so western Saskatchewan and Alberta, uh, there's still some very, very dry conditions. And I do think that there's going to be a challenge there. Now, on the central part of the country, eastern and central Canada, um, if you look at satellite maps, it looks like vegetation is slightly above average, which is is by the end of May. So uh, it looks to be like uh, there might be some 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 production support there just to fill in some of the gap in supplies that we've seen last year. The one thing, though, if you think of good production in eastern and central Canada, the transportation costs are going to be an issue, bringing some of the needs, so, so filling in some of the needs in western Canada. But I do think that overall, it's, it looks like to be a much better year this year than last year, that's for sure. That's good. And do you think that a strong 2022 crop could put things back in line again? I, I To some extent, right? So prior yeah. to the war, I would say yes. Now that the um, we don't know exactly yet, you know, production coming out of the Ukraine, we don't exactly know as well how shipments are going to be able to, to to flow from from Ukraine and Russia to other countries as well. I think at the end of the day, I think production out of Russia is going to get sold. It's a matter of determining where, and then you know the markets are going to sort out all this shuffling in markets and so forth. And, and I think that's going to be fine. But prior to the war, I would have definitely answered yes to that question. Now. I do think that um, we we have to 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 have really good production and maybe uh, 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 some some more rationing in terms of high prices to slow down demand where we needed where it is needed and where it is possible to do so and and hopefully alleviate some of the food security concerns that are starting to develop all over the world really so. Um, I, I'm not so sure that a good crop in 2022 is going to solve all of the issues when it comes to bringing prices closer to their long-term average. Yeah, that that makes sense. And will the decision to extend the usage of E15 gasoline in the U.S., is that going to have an impact on Canadian corn prices? Um, I'm not so sure. I So, you know, year to year, it's not unusual to see corn production in the U.S., fluctuate by 500 million bushels, even up to a billion bushels. And so um, to that, to the extent that E15 is just going to require a few more millions of bushels of corn, given all the issues that exist, and and I'm I'm no expert on the topic for sure, but just given all the issues that exist with distribution of corn or ethanol, uh, E15 ethanol in the US, I'm just not sure that uh, from what I understand that the the impact is going to be that significant on on the marketplace, you know, if you, we're, you know, uh, weather is going to have a much, much, much bigger impact, you know, if you think of U.S. and Canadian prices that are tied to U.S. prices at the end of the day. So uh, I, I would say not necessarily. I, I don't expect it to be a major factor in the next marketing year. Okay. And then, as we all know, input prices have gone crazy through this, the winter and spring, uh, in some places as much as 155%. Is there a relief in sight? I, there is relief. I, I yeah. again, so much relies on uh, on the size of the twenty two crop, and um, we we got potentially more corn 
uh, sorry, more soybeans uh, just because in the U.S., just because of you know, the demand for vegetable oil is absolutely so robust that uh, I think, you know, the forecast right now from the USDA is that, you know, acres are shifting towards soybeans. I'm personally not necessarily so convinced that we're going to get this huge of a shift towards soybeans. So, you know, I, I think from a from a feed price standpoint, we should get some relief, acknowledging as well that prices actually could climb higher in the short term, depending as well on how the, uh, the conflict in between Russia and Ukraine evolves, as well as depending on the weather patterns for sure. And will there be, in your opinion, a, a crop out there that's going to be more profitable than others this year? And, and why would you think so? Yeah, well, if you, if you look at our projections, so we run projections uh, basically throughout the entire year on in terms of pro- expected profitability for the different crops, right? So if you look at Central Canada and corn and soybeans, the standard rotation, I mean, corn's definitely more profitable, even considering some of the higher, very high prices that we face right now when it comes to fertilizers. But um, the profitability for corn in Central Canada is definitely higher than it is for soybeans. I think part of what is going on in the soybean market is that you know markets have sort of priced in already the increase in production coming in from the U.S. and we've seen prices of soybeans slow down a little bit lately. But I am very bullish for anything oil seeds really. And if you just to that point, if you look at Western Canada and some of the projections that we have for expected profitability in the fall for the different crops. I think canola stand out really as, as the, the one crop that will be very highly profitable. Um, you know, the projections from, from, from Stats Statistics Canada right now call for an increase in seeded acres of wheat and a decline in canola. Again, I'm not super convinced based on those profitability indicators that we've run for a number of months now that we're going to see such a shift in the marketplace that I do think I expect lots of acres of canola still. Um, and, and some of the profitability as well that is coming back for pulses, right? So we've had horrible production in 2021 for um, pulses, uh, if you think of lentils, um, peas. And, and so, you know, where production was down more than, than 40% in the praise. And so um, then you're looking at some of the markets that are that have started to reopen for pulses, uh, and some of the pricing out there, I think profitability looks good as well. So, and, and we've invested tons in turn on the Canadian prairies to develop processing, fractioning uh, of peas, for example, and the overall processing capacity for pulses. And so there's, there's a built up demand right there that I think is going to be really supportive of prices when it comes to pulses. Well, that's, that's good news. And we'll, we'll shift now over to livestock. Uh, cattle prices, for example, in 2022 are forecasted to remain at or above 2021. And in Ontario, hog prices are projected to be significantly higher, but profitability is still likely to be the main issue in both. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, definitely. I, if you think of hogs, for example, right, if you look at prices, they're really similar to what it was in 2021. 2021 was a really good year when it comes to prices. I mean, gross receipts or gross income for hog producers were were, were record high. Uh, and there was very, very good profit. It was good profitability in 2021. Now, 2022, if you look at pricing and if you project, we look at future markets and make some, you know, con- convert uh, what the future prices in the U.S. look like when converted into Canadian dollars and so forth and make some assumptions, some assumptions about the exchange rate between the Canadian and U.S. dollars. Um, it, it looks as profitability is going to be positive for the summer months. I think we may run into a few issues towards the end of the year. 
but profitability would be a lot less, even though we have similar hog prices that are way above the five-year average. So that's the good news. I mean, the, the, the not so good news on the other side of the coin is that on the feed side, I think it's it's really where profitability gets challenged. And I would say that you know a similar argument uh, is applies as well to cattle markets. And so overall, I, I am fairly confident that we'll be able to navigate a profitable year. But uh, this is definitely more challenging, you know, for livestock operations and cattle and hogs for sure. Good, and and China's pork production is ramping up again, and Chinese beef imports are expected to increase for the third straight year. So, how is that protect or predicted to affect Canadians and the U.S. market? Yeah, this the, the relationship with China, the trade relationship with China is highly unpredictable. And now I think even more so given all of the the politics with Russia and China and their relationship and so forth, right? The one thing that I am fairly convinced of is that China is still going to have a major impact in the global food and ag markets. And I have always said or made a point to say that um, it's not necessarily that it is important to ship what we produce to China, China is going to have an impact. And if they're demanding more because their their economy is growing or because they have a shortage, just like they experienced between 2018 and 2020 with African swine fever that um, decimated that pig population. Um, And now they've been rebuilding, as you said, and and it looks like 2022, they'll get close to where they were prior to the uh, beginning of this African swine fever disease, but not necessarily all the way there. So they're still going to have demand for proteins. The economy over there is slowing down. And that's the one caveat there when it comes, when you think of the role of China, two caveats. One is the economy slowing down, which I could actually lower their demand for, for proteins. And so from a U.S. and Canadian standpoint, looking at, you know, the ability to supply that need, it might not be as strong as it was, you know, in previous years. So that's one thing on top of the fact that they're rebuilding. So their production is going to go up. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think that the ability to rebuild as well as function of some of the constraints that are emerging in China with regards, for example, some environmental considerations is, you know, are in the way of, you know, building like they would want uh, or building back hog operations the way that they would want. So I think this is all something to keep an eye on. I do think that for the foreseeable future, China is going to have, still going to have a major, major impact on commodity markets. But um, with, with the war in Ukraine and and, and the relationship between China and, and, and Russia, I think this is also interesting to, to keep an eye on and, and see how this is going to evolve in, in the medium term here. Yeah, good points. And the avian influenza has been hitting North America hard. What's your opinion on the outlook for poultry? Yeah, I think, well, if you look at duck, uh, if you look at from a consumer standpoint, if you look at prices that they could be faced at at the retail uh, level, just because of uh, avian influenza, um, if you look at duck meat, turkey meat, those are where I think the, 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 from a proportionally, these sectors have been hit harder than, you know, let's say the egg sector or the chicken sector. So I think this is definitely an area to consider. I think prices are going to, meat prices are going to be climbing for significantly and they're already up significantly. When you look at egg and, and chicken prices, I, I think when I look at all those, I, I do think that what we're seeing in terms of prices in the supply chain that look like. Anyway, some of the usual inflationary pressures that we're seeing for other types of proteins and so forth are not entirely different. So I wouldn't um, I wouldn't um, 
say that necessarily this this will have a major impact at the consumption level. Now at the production level, I do think that you know the compensation offered to producers will offset some of the losses. Um, you know, in Canada, poultry operations, most poultry operations, you know, if you think turkey, eggs, and chicken are under supply management, so there is a pricing formula there that helps match the price that producers get for their production based off feed costs. And so I think from that standpoint, I think this, this system is really going to help and, and offset some of the losses that, that we've had because of avian flu. Oh, that's good. And I know you touched on this before, but you know, really when it comes down to it, what should farmers be doing right now to navigate these issues? And, and I know you said before, really start looking at 2023. Is that is that kind of the main message? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the margin, I think the management skills, I think because we are putting, we are putting, or we're done, depending on where you are in the country and so forth, but we are done now putting a very expensive crop, most expensive ever crop in the ground. So it's almost as if, you know, you bring, you know, you're, you're moving from a, a poker table where, you know, you're allowed to bid by $20 to a much higher stake type of poker table that the stakes are higher. We're putting a more expensive crop in the ground. So because of all of this, I think a couple of things need to happen. First of all, you need to sharpen your management skills. As I said, you need to have the short term, medium term and long term perspective, making sure that your actions on the farm are driven by economic considerations and what might have made sense in the past in terms of applying fertilizer or whatever else might not make as much sense today and in the next few months just because we're faced with a totally different pricing environment. So that's short-term. And in short-term, I do think as well that we need to be thinking about risk management a great deal. So from a production standpoint, financial standpoint, um, I, I think, like I said, I do expect a lot more volatility and volatility isn't always bad, by the way, right? Volatility does sometimes bring opportunities to lock in prices at a higher level than you know, normally do. So I think, you know, from a standpoint, surround yourself. I always say, you know, I think that the best advice is to be a CEO on your farm. And if you think of a CEO of any business, the CEO is not the person that is an expert at everything. You know, a CEO surrounds himself or herself with good people, advisors, you know, an expert in, on, on the financial side of the business, an expert on the human resource side of the business, an expert in the marketing side of the business. And I think, you know, if we do have that mindset at the farm level to surround ourselves, you know, yes, we do have, you know, abilities and knowledge that are specific to our farm, but also acknowledge that, you know, surrounding ourselves with the great partners from a financial standpoint, um, labor or, or, or whatever else you know, that, that you're involved with on the farm, I think makes a whole lot of sense. So be a CEO would be sort of the advice that summarizes everything that I would suggest, you know, farmers need to, to take into account this year. Yeah, that's great advice. Excellent advice. And like you said, like, that's that's the advice for every business right now. And I actually, I work a lot with um, and talk to a lot of manufacturers and, and they've had their own host of supply chain issues, of course. Um, but they, and they've, they've had an interesting kind of unpredictable pattern over the last two years of, of high, high demand. So what do you think about spending? Will farmers be spending money on equipment and improvements or will they be waiting out the storm and keeping payments low? I think there's definitely a sense of caution out yeah. there. I do think that if you look at, you know, the couple of um, markets that are setting the tone when it comes to the outlook for farming, and one of which is the farmland market. And so when demand for farmland 
is very strong. I think that speaks to me to the positive outlook in the industry. And right now we do have demand for farmland that is very strong. Yes, there's a, a bit more caution. I think there's a lot more, a few more businesses that are taking a second look at their financials and look at their, their books and say, well, okay, given what we have in the marketplace, maybe I need to be a little bit more caution here, change or adjust some of the strategic plans I have to purchase new equipment and so forth. But overall, I think there's a really a sense of, of, of optimism in the industry. And, and I think one of the bellwethers, so to speak, of, of that optimism is, is really the, the, the demand for farmland. And so we had very strong increases in farmland values in 2021. Um, we're going to be shortly uh, ourselves looking at you know, the first six months of 2022. And I would expect that um, there's still going to be increases in the farmland market simply because the demand for farmland is very strong. So yes, there's a sense of caution. I do think it's a good thing. We have businesses need to take second looks at a number of different things. But at the end of the day, I also see a lot of optimism in the industry for good reasons, right? If you think of Canada, I mean, our vision at FCC is serving the industry that feeds the world. And if you think of service, I don't think there's any greater calling than being of service and, and feed, you know, serving the industry that feeds the world. At the time where there's global security issues, I think that's, that's, that's quite inspiring. And I, and I think it's, it fits the mindset of our customers as well and the overall Canadian ag industry as well is, is that there is a major role here for Canadian farming operators and farms to actually solve and alleviate some of the major food security concerns that are currently developing at, at, on the world stage. Yeah, and and what's happening with interest rates in Canada right now? Yeah, well, we just talked about farmland value, so I guess a good mm -hmm. segue there, right? So yeah. uh, we had the Bank of Canada decision on June first that um, lifted its key policy rate by fifty basis points, so 05 percent. That's the second consecutive increase of fifty basis points by the Bank of Canada overall. The, uh, the Bank of Canada rate went up 1.25% since March. We think that we're going to be, uh, we're going to see another 1% increase before the end of 2022, perhaps another 50 basis points increase in July and, and two more smaller increases before the end of the year. So that would bring the overnight rate of the Bank of Canada, Bank of Canada at 2.5. I, I, and I, I do think that, you know, if you look at the drivers of farmland values, right, it's, it's farm income, which will be, record high this year, given the high prices on the gross income side, right? Profitability, as we've discussed, um, is, is a different issue for sure. But overall, the gross income is going to be really strong, but interest rates are climbing. And I, and I think this is going to slow down a little bit, the, the demand for farmland. I don't think this is going to slow down farmland values, but I, I do think it will slow down the farmland uh, demand for farmland. Um, because producers, you know, have, have made lots of investments in recent years and now are looking at maybe higher interest expenses that will have an impact on their margins and their profitability to tell. So I think from a financial risk standpoint, again, uh, I would advise that any operation does like what all financial institutions like FCC are doing, which means stress test your operation, right? Run some scenarios, assume that interest rates are going up by 2%. What happens then? Uh, assume that your yields are down 20%, you know, so income's down, which means that maybe your ability to service some of the debt that you've taken on is not going to be as strong as it was in the past. I mean, just to have a really good understanding, what I mean by financial risk management is to have a really good understanding of, of what's the risk out there, what is your financial risk exposure. And if 
you know, after you understand this, then maybe there is a few things that you can do in terms of locking in rates, maybe, um, you know, just, it's, I think it's always great to have different, um, different types of loans on your port, on your book, on, in your farm, but, you know, maybe it is time to take some of the interest rate risk off the table, part of it anyway, and lock in some rates for the long term, given that rates from an historical standpoint, interest rates remain very low from an historical standpoint, despite the increase that we just talked about. Yeah, that makes sense. And then what about the consumer when it comes to the drastic rise in cost of food and fuel? Do you, you know, will there be relief for them? Or is this just kind of a new normal that that everyone has to kind of maybe make different decisions or prepare in a different way? Yeah, I, I do think that's a very good question. I do think that there will be relief. I actually would, I did expect that by the t- by this time, there would have been relief. Now, the one thing that nobody knew about it was with the war in Ukraine, which really right. just, uh, uh, and then all the supply chains as well. I think I underestimated, if I look back at my the last 12 months and some of the analysis that, that we've had, I think we underestimated the extent of the issues when it comes to global supply chains. And it, it would be easier for businesses involved in these supply chains to fix their capacity issues and absorb some of the higher demand as the economies were opening up again, absorb the higher demand that was coming from consumers. So I underestimated uh, or I overestimated the ability of business to adjust. And so we still stuck with some supply chain issues. There's a war in Ukraine. So I think we're looking at, unfortunately, this inflationary period for food to last a little longer. Now, I don't think this is sustainable right now to think that inflation is going to remain this high because this mm-hmm. inflation is the rate of increase in prices. So I do think that prices are going to remain elevated, but might not grow at the same pace. So to say that inflation is going to come down still is consistent with my belief that food prices will remain elevated. I, I do think that consumers have to adjust their mindset and their budget as well and thinking about food being a little bit more expensive than than they're used to for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And and consumer consumption volumes, they're holding up despite the rate of increase, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's quite fascinating actually that the thing yeah. that we domestically, I mean certainly in Canada anyway, that those are the, the that's the market that I'm looking at. I, I don't think we've seen some significant shifts. I mean, you could explain this by from the fact that we were starting with a very low share of our disposable income that we were allocating to food purchases to begin with, right? We were not too long ago prior to COVID, we were in that neighborhood of 10% that we were allocated in terms of overall food, 10% of disposable income that we were allocated to food purchases. Now that has jumped quite a bit for sure with, with the high inflation, that, but it's still very low. On average, and um, it's at the end of the day, I'm not so sure. Like consumers are faced with high prices everywhere, so it's not just that you know one particular protein will be faced with really high prices. Uh, it's pretty much across the board that we're seeing high prices. Sometimes for different reasons, but it all seems to converge to a really high inflationary environment. And so, um, yeah, and then Canadians. Uh, Stand behind, you know, I think Canadian food producers, which I think is is a is a good thing. Yeah, that's great. So, I have one last question for you: Why do you do this? Why are you so passionate about about this? I know you, you touched on this before about about your your past, but what are you the most passionate about? Yeah, 
I, first of all, I love economics. I think economics is so powerful in explaining a lot of things. I mean, my own personal mantra is, is uh, I always like to say that uh, what I do is, is making uh, complex and boring, easy and fun. And I do think that's what I'm passionate about, frankly. It's, it's I work with, I have the chance at FCC of working with amazing, amazing uh, entrepreneurs that are doing extremely wonderful things in their business. I've seen lots of growth in the industry in the last 12 years that I've been with FCC. And just to being such a small part of that success in terms of making sure that we are conveying to our customers of the things that they should be keeping in mind and just letting them do their thing. The amazing men and women that are behind Canadian farms and food processors and input suppliers, that, that, that I find that quite satisfying and, and, and quite, uh, uh, quite inspiring, frankly. And I think if I look back to the passion I have for this industry, I think the ability to work with the um, men and women that are producing our food uh, and, and, and helping them out, figure out the complex things that they face in their daily business life, I think that to me is, is, is very inspiring. Yeah, that's amazing. And like you said before, there's no greater thing than to serve. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. So where can people find you and, and where can they get help from FCC? Yeah. So we have a fairly good presence on the web. So if I think you'd start off with uh, fcc.ca, which is our website, and, and you'll find on the website not only the lending services and products that we offer, but as well a pretty sophisticated and, and large section of knowledge. So uh, we have economics in there, obviously, which is I, I oversee, but we have as well information with regards to farmland values. We have, you know, if you're interested in succession planning, um, there are tons of different information that you can find on the website. And obviously, if you are looking to grow your business and need some financial uh, advice and services, I think FCC is the place to look at. And you can start off from the website. We have a presence across the country, it literally coast to coast. We have 100 offices, uh, close to 100 offices that are located coast to coast across the country. And so there's a local presence as well, wherever you are. So I think but starting from the website that FCC.ca would be the place to go. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, JP. That was really great insight, a, a lot to digest as well. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, all the links will be provided in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Eggfuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Egg Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the ag brands you love and the ag brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. 
Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com, available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.